Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The Greenville Oaks Church of Christ seeks all who need Jesus and together are becoming His fully devoted followers, encouraging and equipping people to love God, love people, and serve others in an ever-growing way of life. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. choices in life, don't we? But some we don't have choices about. I didn't get to choose the city I was born in or the parents that I was born to. I didn't choose my personality or my genetic code. And neither did you. And those details that some of us call accidents of birth are powerful details. They shape us in profound ways. These details make up our origin story, the beginnings of a journey that we are on. And apparently, Luke believes that these origin details in Jesus' life are of profound importance. Mark uh, spends 14 verses telling us about John, and that he goes out in the wilderness and he baptizes people and he preaches and he's imprisoned, and then Jesus is baptized and he's tempted and, and he's into his ministry. 14 verses to set all that up. John, John begins his uh, with a more of a poetic beginning to the story, not really entering into the details of Jesus' birth, but telling about this word that's been made flesh. Matthew shares a bit more. Matthew offers us 43 verses of insight before Jesus begins into his ministry. But Luke, Luke takes 134 verses to prepare us for the ministries of John and Jesus. For Luke, significant events have antecedents and causes and preparations. Remember, Luke has done his homework. He's read, likely, Mark's gospel, and it's important, these details. They shape the life of Jesus and the ministry that changes the world. We'll discover through this story that what we sometimes call accidents of birth are not that in Jesus' story. They shape him profoundly, and they shape the world. I want to begin with prayer this morning as we think back to these details and how they shape our lives as well. Our God, our Father, we, uh, we're, we're profoundly grateful for this story, that these words are recorded and that we know some about the, the life of Jesus, your son, who entered into the world, and, and that you don't hide back from these details, God. Details in his genealogy that some would find embarrassing are part of what formed Jesus. And, and Mary and Joseph and uh, Anna and Simeon, all of these people and characters, they shape uh, this life, and yet Jesus shapes theirs in return. This morning, uh, we want the same for our lives. We want to be shaped by your vision for the world, by your uh, spirit in our lives, and by our stories being set on a new course as new creations. God, remind us of those moments when we entered into the waters for the first time. And for some of us today who have uh, drug our feet a bit about that decision, maybe today would be the day you'd pull our hearts to the next step, whatever that may be in our journey. Pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of preaching toward that end, that Christ might be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
I'm Colin Pachter. I was born in Abilene, Texas at Hendrick Medical Center. My parents are Barry and Diane Packer. My grandparents, Joe and Nadine Stevens, Lynn and Barbara Packer. I had to make the call to know my great-grandparents' names. It's amazing how fast we lose some of these stories these days, isn't it? They seem to pull up the genealogy back in those days a little quicker. My great-grandparents were Napoleon and Bonnie Packer, Robert and Catherine Bell, Joseph and Margaret Stevens, Claude and Esther Kelly. I can't remember all of my great-great-grandparents. My parents couldn't even really help me all that much with it. But there was one guy named Moses Eliezer Packer. I like that name. Just don't make names like we used to. And if your family is anything like my family, you tend to highlight some of your ancestors. I have a sense of pride about those. In fact, right now, you'd love to shout out about who those names are. And yet there are other stories that you tend to keep hidden away in the closet, a little deeper in the genealogy. Uh, One of the heroes in my family is a man named Alexander Graham Bell. Yes, direct descendant. Grateful for what he's done. And I wish we could have stuck with the rotary phone instead of kept it continuing. I'm also related to some of you history buffs may know something about. I'll be interested afterward if some of you have dug up more history on this. But a man named David Rice Atchison, you see on his gravestone there, president of the United States for one day. It's interesting. Outgoing president James Polk's term ended on Sunday, March 4th, which happened to fall on a Sunday. And his successor, Zachary Taylor, refused to be sworn into office On a Sunday. So as president pro tem, David Rice Atchison was considered the president for one day. But I have villains in my family. One guy named Alfred Packer. Any of you know the story of Alfred Packer? Is that a familiar name to any of you? You see the resemblance, I guess you can tell. Uh, this uh, This is one of those stories you keep hidden away. So let's keep this between us this morning. Those of you online as well. Alfred is a notorious character in Colorado state history. Uh, Alfred was convicted of manslaughter, and you would think that would be the worst thing that you could be convicted of, but his story is even worse. He's also known as the Colorado cannibal. Yeah, me too, yeah. Which wasn't just a cute name handed to him by his frat brothers. Stories diverge on exactly what happened, but he was on a mountain expedition. And it's believed that as they got into trouble, he, uh, he killed uh, those who were on that expedition and uh, had to eat them in order to stay alive. Here I am, pictured next to the grave of my beloved ancestor, uh, Alfred Packer. And the next picture shows Alfred in another uh, scene. This is, uh, if you pull that next picture up, this is my brother and uh, sister-in-law. And this is Maddox, actually, that you can't see in that crib early on in our time in Colorado. We went up to the University of Colorado, and we were grateful to find out they'd set up a, a plaque there and a whole uh, setup telling his story. It's grateful for those kind of things. They named their cafeteria after our beloved Alfred. Yeah. No, really, you go there, you can see this. In 1968, a new cafeteria was named the Alfred G. Packer Memorial Grill. With the byline, catch this, have a friend for lunch. (laughs) This may just be the first sermon that any preacher has ever claimed this history, right? In fact, one time I pulled through a Wendy's in Colorado and they saw the last name Packer. I said, yeah, yeah, it's that guy. 
Every family has its heroes and its villains. You may not have a cannibal in the family, but my guess is you have some that you don't tell stories about. Jesus had an origin story. He had heroes, and he had villains in his genealogy as well. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open up. We're spending time in Luke 3 through uh, the middle of chapter 4 this morning. Jesus had that origin story, and I want us to tell a bit of it today. If you read closely the genealogy of Jesus in that story, you pick up on some heroes in that story. It becomes clear, though, that Jesus had his share of villains in this story. There's some skeletons in the closet of David. Jacob and Noah, and one you may not know as much about, Lamech. Read that story. Uh, He increases the violence of Noah a bit more, is his promise. Or of Cain, I should say, his ancestor. Here's the truth about our past. We are unavoidably heirs to a past that we had nothing to do with. But we have a choice. We can ignore that past. We can put it away and act as if it isn't anything that shapes who we are. Some of us choose to do that. The other choice is to own our past, to own our origin. Many of us have spent a lot of hours on a couch trying to do just that, trying to work through our histories, the experiences that happened to us. But I want to tell you this morning, as you own your story, Christianity invites you to be restoried as well, to be restored into another family, not just the story of your birth and your genes, but a story that's been going on long before you. But first, you'll have to own your past, probably. I've heard it said that scars are tattoos with stories, but sometimes our tattoos tell stories as well. This is the right forearm of one of the greatest athletes of our time. It's a bit hard to make it out in the tattoo, uh, but the tattoo reads 330. The same athlete has a tattoo on his left shoulder and and right shoulder. The tattoo on his right shoulder reads Akron. The tattoo on his left shoulder reads Established 1984. Any guesses on who this athlete is? The owner of these tattoos is LeBron James, the greatest basketball player of our era. I could make claims about things larger than that, but I'll leave that to another time. All three of these tattoos tell the story of LeBron James' origins, and it's a fascinating story. LeBron James was born on December 30th, 1984 in Akron, Ohio. It was a particularly difficult place and time to be born into in Akron's history. In 1982, two years before LeBron's uh, birth, Akron produced its last ever passenger tire. Akron was once the tire capital of the world. In 1929, on the brink of the Depression, 75% of American tires were made in Akron. It was the archetypal industrial city, a booming factory town where the air smelt of sweet rubber. But in 1982, the boom was over. See, LeBron James was born in Akron, Ohio, at exactly the moment that the city was losing all sense of who it was and what made it what it was. And in that summer of 82, a new term popped up in the American lexicon, Rust Bowl, which intentionally rhymed with the Dust Bowl, right? Which is a period in the history, 50 years or so before that time, when tens of thousands of people picked up and moved because things had grown different and storms had raged on and winds had blown through and destroyed land that wasn't going to be able to produce like it had produced before. And so those people set out for new lands, for greener pastures, many of them in California. In the same way, the Rust Bowl forced many to leave their places of origin. 
And Akron was the dead center of the Rust Bowl's impact geographically, and there are all kinds of ways to measure a depression. And often when economics are poor in an area, people look to, for solace in their sports teams. As the steel industry lagged in Pittsburgh in those days, they had their Steelers that were doing quite well. Cleveland, about an hour up the road from Akron, wasn't doing as well. At that time, it had been nearly 20 years since Cleveland had had a championship. Those great days of the Cleveland Browns, Jim Brown, those were the good days. And it would take more than 30 years more before they would have a championship again. But LeBron was a breath of fresh air for the city of Akron, for the Rust Belt. By his junior year of high school, LeBron was on the cover of Sports Illustrated under the audacious title, The Chosen One. And when he was drafted into the NBA in 2003, he was drafted as the first pick to the hometown team, an hour up the road, the Cleveland Cavaliers. For those of you who followed LeBron's career, you know of his accomplishments. Four uh, NBA Most Valuable Player Awards, three NBA Finals MVPs, two Olympic gold medals, three NBA championships. And the last of those championships was in Cleveland, ending a 52-year championship drought for that city. But what you may not know about LeBron in the midst of all those stats is about his origins. which are stamped on his body, indelibly etched into his right shoulder, and the 330 on his right forearm, the most powerful forearm in basketball these days, it's the area code for Akron. It reminds him of where he comes from. I'm LeBron James from Akron, Ohio, from the inner city. That's a man who owns his origin story, who hasn't forgotten where he's come from. In fact, in 2015, James fully committed to sponsor 1,000 kids from Akron to gain their education at the University of Akron. And earlier this year, James dedicated the I Promise School, a school for some of the city's most disadvantaged kids. But this isn't a sermon about LeBron James. This is a sermon about origins. It's a sermon about where we come from and how we get where we're going. It's a sermon about owning our origins and then looking forward to find ourselves in a story larger than ourselves. Here's what I believe about us. I believe every human being is innately wired to desire to have a life that outlives our life on earth. We want to leave a legacy that outlives us. And I also believe that we want to be a part of a story that's larger than us. In Luke 3, 1 through 414 is about Jesus' entry into a story larger than himself. And if you're looking for a story larger than yourself, if you're looking to live a life that outlives your life, I would encourage you to spend some time in these chapters. At the heart of this section, Luke lists the genealogy of Jesus. And that genealogy reminds us that Jesus arrives in the middle of a story. This story doesn't just pick up in the New Testament. It started long before that. And that's where the story begins in Luke 3. I want to read verse 38, which is actually the very origin of the story. This is uh, Luke 3, verse 38. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. God is the ultimate origin of this story. That's true for you as well if you trace it all the way back. And, And from God comes Adam, and from Adam comes Seth, and from Seth comes Enosh, and so on. And that list represents a long and winding story of God's attempt to be in relationship with humanity. Adam represents sinner entering into the world. Abraham represents God's choice to work through Israel to bring his blessing to the world. 
David represents God's choice of a king to reign over Jerusalem as a home base. It's a base of operations that God would send his blessings to all nations on earth. And as Luke tells his story, the story of Jesus' origins, he's careful to tell this story in light of a past, in light of a genealogy, in light of Israel's past. As Isaiah had promised, there would be one who would prepare the way for the Lord. That's John. And John is the fulfillment of that promise. But don't lose sight of where John begins his ministry. His ministry begins by baptizing people in the desert, the wilderness. Why is John baptizing people? He's baptizing people because these people need to repent of the sins of generations that have come, that have sent them into exile. They've followed after foreign gods. They've not been faithful to their God. They need repentance. Israel was in exile for a reason, and they won't be able to enter into a new story without repenting of the past they've been a part of. Some of us love to talk about the past and say, well, that was not us. It was our ancestors, but, but they are willing to, be, to repent on behalf of not just their own sin. I believe the sins before them. And these people being baptized don't make excuses. No, they're part of a story, and they need forgiveness for their sins, and Israel needs forgiveness for her sins. And then Jesus shows up asking to be baptized as well, which begs a question, right? What in the world does Jesus need to be baptized for? Haven't you ever wondered that? I've wondered that. What story is Jesus joining would be a question I would ask. He's joining the story of Israel. When God liberates Israel from slavery in Egypt, do you remember how he does it? He baptizes Israel. Right? They're, they're in slavery. They're in bondage. God's going to free them. But before he can take them to the promised land, what does he do? He baptizes them. He takes them right through the middle of the Red Sea. And it's like their own baptism. It's their initiation. It's moving away from this and moving forward into something new. And I love that imagery because when we're baptized, we enter into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But we're also entering into a story that goes long before that. It's a reminder of an Uh, an entrance in a new land, taken out of slavery into new things. Jesus is entering that story and he's owning his origin story and Jesus is going to redeem that story. And then in Luke 4, Jesus enters into the wilderness for 40 days without food. It doesn't take a genius to know what that's referring to, right? This is Israel's story. For 40 days and nights, Noah and his family experienced rains and floods coming down and even coming up, it seems, in the story. Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai Without food, Elijah traveled for 40 days and 40 nights on a journey to Mount Horeb, yes, Mount Sinai itself. And Israel spends 40 years in the wilderness before they enter into the promised land. Before Jesus enters his ministry, he enters into a story that's larger than himself. He's joining Israel's story. He's come to redeem this broken story and to help it come to a better completion. Since the beginning of this year, we've gotten to celebrate two baptisms, which has been so exciting to start the year that way. And my hope is we'll have many more. More of us will commit ourselves to that story. We'll see more of our kids being raised up to make those decisions. We'll see others that are not yet here that will make decisions to follow Jesus in this way. Baptism is the key moment where we publicly commit ourselves to Jesus. Like a marriage ceremony. When we're baptized, there are witnesses to that fact. We're there to call us back to the commitment we made. I know the people that were there at my baptism. And they still call me and they check up on me and they ask me, am I still committed to the way of Jesus? You've been witness to a lot of those as well. Maybe those are calls we all need to make. 
And yes, baptism is a reenactment of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In our baptism, we die to our old selves, and we are born to new life. We become new creations. In our baptism, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's even larger than all that. We enter into an eternal life that begins in that moment that's promised with confidence in the future, and we're joining a story. We're joining a mission. In other words, the two things we want most, to live a life that outlasts our lives, which is all about legacy, right? And a story that's larger than ourselves, which is about a a why that shapes our lives, a purpose, a, a why that drives everything that we go about. Those things happen in our baptism. Yes, we all have origin stories. I'm Colin Packer. I'm the son of Barry and Diane Packer. But in my baptism, I joined an even larger story, an even larger family. I'm Colin Packer, God's son, whom God loves, with whom God is well pleased. And each of us who've made those decisions and entered into those waters can know the very same thing. And that new identity prepares me to enter into the temptations of the wilderness, just as we all face trials that are sure to come. In the wilderness, Jesus faces temptations, but he's able to say no to the devil and yes to God in ways that Adam never could. He's the new Adam, entering in to redeem this story in new ways. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have that same power. to Say no to the evil one and to say yes to God. Perhaps this morning, you've been waiting to have a new legacy. Perhaps this morning, you have come from a family that has its own pains and difficulties. In the midst of those pains and difficulties, what I want to offer you is it's important to own that past, to walk through the difficulty of those past moments. But there's a new family that you can be born into this morning, a a story that's much larger than just the heroes and villains that I shared this morning in my own. And there are villains in that story still, redeemed villains that God works through. There are heroes as well. Or maybe this morning, the other question's one for you. I want to know what my purpose is. I want to live a part of a story that's larger than just trying to climb the ladder and make it on my own to get our family to a certain place of security and safety. Maybe you're searching for that. And what I want to suggest this morning is baptism is the entrance into that into a story and a family that's larger than ourselves, a legacy that outlasts our lives, but also a clear why and a purpose. It's a mission that we get to enter into that's so big and wide and expansive. Right now, if you're wondering, I just don't know where my life's headed. I don't know know how to step out of the struggles that I have. It's not that baptism makes us perfect people and we never struggle again. That's never the promise of what baptism is. But it does give us a sense of history. It gives us a sense of a future. It gives us a why and a purpose. It cleanses our sin and it gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to live into this new humanity together, empowered by the Spirit of God to do so. And so this morning, I want to offer an opportunity for you to respond to that call. Jesus entered into it, even as a sinless human being, uh, fully God, fully man, Jesus is baptized. We follow that example. That's what we all do as a way of doing this. And, And when we're baptized, it's one of those things that our witnesses who are there at the moment get to call us back and say, but you were baptized, you were cleansed. You know who you are, you know who your family is, and you know what your purpose is. We all need a moment that we can all look back on. So this morning, if you've been baptized and you're in the room, I want you to go back to that moment. Do you remember what it felt like to come out out of the waters? 
And I want you to know and identify for yourself the family of God that you are now in. Maybe you question it sometimes whether you're in, whether you're saved. Sometimes repentance is necessary to continue that journey. But I want you to remember that moment. I want you to know who you are. I am who you say I am, we sang earlier. It's true. We are who God says we are. But if you've not made that decision yet, this morning we want to offer you an opportunity to do so. And so maybe you've uh, made these private commitments to God and never gone public. I think the public nature of this is so important because it does allow us uh, a public way of saying to others, we're in on this and we need your help along the way. And there are plenty of people that would love to walk with you on that journey going forward. So in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing one last song. And during that time, I'll be up front on the front row. Feel free to come forward. We've also got prayer leaders in the back that would love to start that conversation with you. If you're not sure what all that means, and maybe this is the first time you're hearing about this, they would love to meet with you. I'd love to find time this week and and, and walk with you more into that. But our desire is that we offer this opportunity so we can own our origins and the truth about who we are, but we can enter into a larger family, a larger story. We'd love nothing more for that to happen this morning. So right now I want to ask all of us to stand and I want to pray for us. And then uh, as we sing this last song, feel free to come forward if you'd like uh, to be baptized, to commit the same thing Jesus did so many years ago. God, we, we thank you so much for this story. This is our story. This is our song. And we praise you this morning. And we know who you are because of these acts in our lives, these rituals. Some look at rituals and wonder if they're just lifeless acts. But God, we believe that it's in communion that we come together and we're reminded of the story that we've committed our lives to. And it's in the bread and the, and the cup, God, that we're reminded of the body and blood of Jesus and reminds us every single week of who we are. And the same is true for baptism. Thank you that Jesus... Uh, didn't stand on the outside of the baptistry, but was willing to walk into it to remind us that it's about so much more. So God, I thank you for the confidence that brings our lives and for the story it enters us into. And I, I thank you you've expanded my family because, boy, I'm grateful for some in my family, but there's other stories as well that are struggles. And that's true in the new story we enter into also. You redeem and you restore and you use some of the most broken people to do some of the most powerful things, extraordinary things by the power of your spirit. So I pray this, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you in your walk to find real significance in Jesus. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher, whatever podcast platform you use. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org. 